Our New Testament lesson this morning is from Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, verses 25 through 33, and you can find it at page 59 of the New Testament section of your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even life itself cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. We celebrate the written word of scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Please join me in prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So you're probably thinking, wait a second, this Sunday is supposed to be fun and festive, all jazz and ice cream, and I'm giving you hate family, carry your cross, isn't that a barrel of fun? Before you start checking your phones for your email or counting the panes of stained glass, remember that this is the same Jesus who said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It is the same Jesus who sat down to dinner with people that the religious show-offs thought were unsavory. It's the same Jesus who welcomed outcasts, the same Jesus who healed the sick, the same Jesus who said loving your neighbor was more important than anything else, and that includes your neighbor who's a family member. So this passage has to be consistent with that Jesus, doesn't it? So let's start with this. What does the cross mean to you? You kind of have to figure that out before you can make sense of whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Do you assume some churchy answer? Maybe something you'd find in a creed? Maybe there's a correct answer? Were you taught growing up, or maybe you absorbed it in a long life of singing old hymns, that the cross has something to do with suffering and forgiveness of sins? Have you ever wondered what the cross meant for Luke, for Matthew, for Mark, for John, for Paul? The truth is, the New Testament doesn't have a uniform answer. To that question, what does the cross mean? There is no one correct biblical answer. As often happens with scripture, we're invited into a conversation. 
We're in Luke's gospel today, and what Luke brings to that conversation is an exceptional concern for the poor and marginalized, and a tender heart for the outcast and forsaken. So for Luke, carry your cross could mean to carry the ministry of Jesus forward by seeing those whom the world overlooks. It could mean favoring and regarding the marginalized even when it might lead to your own discomfort or even outright oppression. Remember, here in the 14th chapter of Luke, Good Friday hasn't happened yet. So it's not likely that Jesus is referring to any traditional notions of salvation that we might connect with the cross. We aren't there yet. If you did open your pew Bibles to page 59, you'll see that the bold heading before this passage is the cost of discipleship. But let's look at that. Is it really a cost or is it a choice? In the book of Deuteronomy, part of the Torah, Moses gives a long speech to the people of Israel after presenting them with the law. This law is part of the covenant between God and God's people. Gina read the part where Moses explains that they, what they have in front of them are two paths, life and prosperity or death and adversity. If they choose the path of following God's law, which, by the way, includes honoring your parents, not hating them. If they choose the path of following God's law, treating each other fairly, welcoming the stranger and caring for the needy, and loving your neighbor as yourself, that's in Leviticus, then the people will thrive. Imagine for a moment a culture, a society, that makes that choice. Imagine a society that chooses kindness, fairness, civility, and generosity. It's true that the Hebrew Scriptures also include some ancient Middle Eastern rules that are odd and even repugnant to us today, but Jesus pointed out that what it all boils down to is love God and love your neighbors yourself. Do that and live said Jesus. So Moses says that if the people choose a different path, a path of ignoring these basic rules of human fairness and kindness, they will perish. We might read this as a threat of divine punishment, but it's just logical consequences. If you don't live in harmony and fairness with the people you encounter, the consequence is discord, enmity, strife, and violence. If you don't care for the needy, you'll find yourself hunkering down to protect your stuff because you're afraid someone will try to take it from you. If you don't care for the earth that is our home, it won't take care of us. These are just consequences. God says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Choose life. If we think of our faith as being more than anything else about what it costs, about what we give up, what we sacrifice, then we're forgetting that life, that all of life is full of choices that cost us. 
We are limited beings, and often when we choose one path, it means we do have to give up another path. Parenthood, marriage, careers, anything that takes commitment and effort has a cost. But that isn't why we choose them, is it? It's that even when we know that our choice will impact our lives in huge and unforeseen ways, that there will be a cost, what we feel most is joy and gratitude. What we think most is, this choice is right. This is the path I choose. Or in Christian terms, we might think, I have been called to this. That is what the cross means here in Luke. One commentator writes, the cross is not unique but representative of what life is. To carry your cross is to carry the choices and burdens and realities of a life that has made a certain commitment, a commitment to a way of life that is committed to bringing about the kingdom of God here and now. That's certainly what it meant for Jesus. What about that hating your family thing? What happened to honor thy father and thy mother in the Ten Commandments, especially when this same Jesus also said people were not to break even the least of the commandments? This is another logical consequences issue. I'm sure there are people in this sanctuary this morning who have had to choose between a relationship with a family member and their own integrity or well-being. Certainly for Luke's audience, Following Jesus would have put family relationships at risk. And so even here, Jesus is saying, choose life, choose the kingdom of God, choose to live in this world as though God is the ruler of our hearts and minds, because that is what will bring life. That is what will bring wholeness and shalom to you and to the whole world. What a different way of being it is if we think of the cross as a way of choosing life rather than fixated on death. This isn't to say that Jesus' death doesn't matter. It's to encourage a conversation about why it matters. Maybe it matters for Luke because the cross was Jesus standing up to empire. It was Jesus nevertheless persisting. Maybe it matters because it's a promise that release of the captives is a past, present, and future reality, but that future depends on our choice to carry the cross of Jesus, that is, to make a choice for life. If the cross is choosing life now, how might that show in our lives, in our lives as disciples of Jesus? One place we might start to think about that is with our wonderful new members today. These people are people you need to get to know. They're a blessing to this congregation, and they will join you in professing their faith today. It is a choice. It is a choice they make. It is a commitment that costs them something. Not because becoming a member of our congregation means that you promise you'll always believe the correct beliefs or forever adopt the right doctrines. Rather, it is because it means that they've chosen to throw in their lot with the rest of this motley crew for better or for worse, 
to wrestle with the questions, to figure out what God calls us to do and to be, to follow Jesus' example and to give our hearts to each other and to the world that God wants for us all. That is a cost. But along with that cost, there is celebration. There is joy, there is gratitude, because these new members join us in choosing life. Something Barbara Ehrenreich said a while back speaks to this. She was asked in an interview what she would give up to live in a more human world. She answered, I think we shouldn't think of what we would give up to have a more human world. We should think of what we would gain Choose life. May it be so for you and for me. Amen.